0: Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division 1 All-American wrestler, former Division 1 head coach, speaker and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today I bring you Sheila Heen. <laughs> Do you feel out of balance in your life, like your family and your work are your priorities, but you don't have enough time in the day, so you're shortchanging them both? Not to mention wanting to work out more or or do more of the things that you love. Are you easily distracted and you want to be able to stay more focused so you can lock in on the most important things that you know you should be doing? You want to be more consistent so you can achieve those goals that always seem just out of reach. Or maybe you feel like you just lack the motivation that it takes to get there. Or maybe you're just not clear on what the right first step actually is. Like every time you're about to take action, you doubt whether or not it's the right action or the right goal. I know the feeling. I've got a wife and four kids, a job, a rental property, this podcast, not to mention the inevitable challenges that just come up with life like you know illness and struggling family members or car trouble. I've got a lot going on, but when I was a division one, all American athlete, I was completely locked in. I was focused. I was balanced and I knew exactly what I wanted and the steps that I had to take to get it. But when I got into the real world, things got a lot more complex. There's just a lot more time demands. Like everything seems to be a priority. How are you supposed to figure out what's the right next step for you? Well, I've developed a system that helps you do just that. Find the balance, the clarity, the focus that you're looking for so you can take your life to the next level. So you can start seeing the dreams that are in your mind as realistic goals and have a plan to achieve them. I've opened a few spots on my calendar for free 30-minute strategy calls so you can take that first step toward the life that you've always dreamed about. Just one simple step, one small commitment that will give you huge results, a simple phone call that will leave you with a plan. If you want this life, if you want to truly have a breakthrough, claim one of the few spots, open on my calendar, and I'll share with you the formula that has had people who I work with saying things like one of my recent coaching clients, Frank, who said, my only regret is that I didn't do this 20 years ago. Or like Isaac, who said, I love this version of myself the best, and I'll do anything to keep it going. I've got dozens more quotes like that. If you want to feel the same way, go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply. That's com slash apply. An expert on managing difficult negotiations, Sheila is a lecturer at Harvard Law School and founder of Triad Consulting. Her corporate clients include Apple, Unilever, the Federal Reserve Bank, Pixar, Novartis, and numerous others. She often partners with executive teams, helping them work through conflict, repair working relationships, and make sound decisions together. She's the author of two New York Times best selling books. The first one is Difficult Conversations How to Discuss What Matters Most. And the second, thanks for the feedback, the science and art of receiving feedback well. She's also spent the last 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project, developing negotiation theory and practice. She has appeared on shows as diverse as Oprah, The G. Gordon Liddy Show, NPR, Fox News, and CNBC's Power Lunch. And for the listener, as always, if you don't have time to listen to the entire episode or if you hear something you like but you don't have a chance to write it down, make sure you grab your free copy of The Action Plan. Just go to com slash action. Sheila, welcome to the show.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: Well, uh, Jared Kmar, a mutual friend, has talked about you several times and uh, just really recommended you. And once I started looking into what you do, I thought it was just what a fantastic background you have. This is something that we really haven't covered much on the Success Through Failure podcast. we approaching, gosh, approaching 200 episodes. And this will be some, uh, a little bit of a a fresh look at some things for us. So excited to talk about difficult conversations and receiving feedback and and maybe even touching on negotiation. But before we do that, let's start with a little bit about your background, Sheila. Can you tell us maybe where you grew up and and kind of the 30,000 foot view of how you got from there to where you're at now?
1: Sure. Um, So I grew up in Iowa and Nebraska. Uh, My parents still live there, and one of my sisters is still there. I ended up in college in California a little bit by accident because I didn't have a lot of help with that college process. Didn't get in to where I had my heart set on to go and didn't do a great job of having backups. But I, I ended up landing at Occidental College in Los Angeles, which ended up being a really amazing place for me. Um, and from there (laughs) flipped to the other side of the country, went to Harvard Law School and then never quite escaped. So I came on board at the Harvard Negotiation Project upon graduation, um, a couple years later joined the faculty and I've been teaching there ever since while keeping a foot in the real world, helping clients, um, and people around the world with real problems, which is sort of the philosophy of the Harvard Negotiation Project. Um, that we have to keep a foot in the real world working with real people and then step back to try to reflect on what we're learning
0: yeah that's the kind of conversations that I like to have with folks who can really take the theory and, and make it practical and actionable so um, so I think that'll that'll help um, I'm sure that helps you know certainly with your clients and what you do, but I think it'll help my listeners as well um, and Sheila, and, and it's interesting to hear that you're, you're, you know, right out of the gates, you, you share with us a failure. You didn't get into the college you wanted and, uh, and now with <laughs> the Oh, I didn't get doing. into
1: the law school I wanted to go to either. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's, this is what I tell my kids, right, when they're yeah. in the college process. I've got one in college and two more coming up. And I said, look, I, I didn't get into a place I thought was like the be-all, end-all, and things so far have turned out pretty okay.
0: Yeah, you know, so many times we run into things, we want something, right? A job or get into a certain college or whatever the case might be, a, you know, a, a relationship, etc. And and we don't get what we want and we go, oh my gosh, my whole life is going to change, it's going to be terrible, it's not going to be this like life that I envisioned. Um, but things can often turn out okay, right?
1: Well, yeah, and I actually think, um, of course, you know, where you end up at college, who you marry, like has a huge impact influence on the rest of your life, who you meet, how you spend your time, et cetera. Um, But it's not like there's only one path through life. Right. Um, And often the things we think we want, there are other, well, other people and also parts of ourselves that recognize that, well, maybe this isn't actually the only way to get there, or maybe I'm even headed in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great perspective. Sheila, let's talk about difficult conversations. I mean, we all have them, whether it's at home or at work or, or somewhere in between. Uh, and we often approach those difficult conversations with a mindset that we're right and this other person is wrong and they screwed up or they didn't do what they were supposed to. And now I have to tell them where they're wrong in order for them to do the things that I want them to do, right? Um, why does well, that? Yeah. Why does that approach hard? Why does that approach not work?
1: Yeah. Well, so this is, this is one of the funny conundrums of difficult conversations, which is that I don't even want to have to take the risk to have the conversation if I can help it unless I'm pretty yeah. sure that I'm right, right? Sure. And also, I really want to solve the problem, and it's very clear to me that the problem is you, because <laughs> if you would just stop doing X or start doing Y, um, it's very clear to me that things would be a lot better. And the problem, of course, is that the other person in any given conversation is focused on what they're pretty sure they're right about. They can see that it wasn't just them, um, because in most cases, we've all contributed to the problem. Whether or not we did anything wrong, we each did or failed to do things that got us to where we're at. And if we don't figure that out, well, then we're just going to make the same mistakes all over again.
0: So how do we how do we approach those? How do we, how do we approach that converse these difficult conversations?
1: So I, I think the biggest thing that I have learned is that the very first negotiation I need to have is with myself, mm. um, with my own internal voice, like what I'm really thinking and feeling. And if I can negotiate my own internal voice from being super focused on what I'm right about and have to, you know, explain to you to instead, being a little bit curious about why we see this so differently. Like that's my purpose in the conversation is to figure out why do we see this differently or how do you see it? And then I want you to understand how I see it. And we each have pieces of the puzzle that the other one doesn't have. And so if my first purpose in the conversation is let's just get those puzzle pieces on the table and take a look at why, what it looks like and why, that actually is usually a pretty easy Invitation for you to take. Yeah, so I come at the conversation really differently just by making that internal shift um, in my mindset and also in my purpose for the conversation.
0: So this sounds good, right? So this sounds good. Everyone's <laughs> yep. saying, okay, right? So so we go. Okay, I'm going to make this mindset shift. So, but but the listener is going to walk away from this podcast and and go back to managing people or go home mm-hmm, or whatever the mm-hmm. case might be. And I know they
1: have to talk to people who didn't listen to this podcast. They
0: have to talk to so people they're who they're not didn't actually listen. taking this advice, right? Everybody yeah. should be listening. So, uh, well, maybe clearly, that's just the solution. That's the answer, <laughs> right? That is the answer, exactly. <laughs> Everybody needs to buy your book or listen to my podcast. So, how do you how do you how do you make this mindset shift? So, people hire you, right? Right? Corporations and people and businesses hire you, and you get to sit down and and have these have the, help them think through a difficult conversation that they are going to have the reader yeah. of your book books uh, the listeners of this podcast are are going to going to you know stop listening to this podcast when it's over and then and then go back to real life How, any any tactics or ways that somebody can can who's going into a meeting this afternoon and they have to have a difficult conversation, what do they do to shift their mindset? I mean, is there, is there, do they need to journal on it? Do they need to close their eyes and visualize the conversation going differently? Um, Do they need to write out sort of the agenda for the meeting and change it to a different purpose? Um, Any tactics you can help us with there?
1: Yeah. Okay. So the first, the first thing is maybe not to do something. Mm -hmm. which is that the way that we typically will prepare for that conversation we need to have in the meeting this afternoon is that we write down all the things that we want to say, right? We walk down our, we write down our talking points. Mm -hmm. Now there's nothing wrong with making some notes to yourself on some things you want to say, but the problem is that when we prepare that way, we go in, in a way that has set, we've set ourselves up to do a lot of talking and very little listening. Mm -hmm. So, because, you know, I have stuff to say. That's how I prepared. So the first thing that I tend to do when I prepare someone differently is that i I ask them a couple of key questions ahead of time. I ask, so like in a sentence or two, what do you think the problem is here? And actually, that's probably three or four or five different sentences, right? They'll say, well, the problem is, you know, this is what my boss doesn't understand. This is the ways in which my boss is contributing to the problem and doesn't let me do what I know should be done. Um, This is the way in which I don't have the support that I need. And I'm like, great. So those are three or four headlines about what you think this conversation is about. Now sit over here and imagine you're your boss Hmm. and answer the same question. Yeah. Right? Jim is going to come talk to you. What does your employee Jim or, sorry, sorry, Jim is going to come talk to you, boss. We'll give your boss a name. What's your wife's name?
0: Uh, Allison. She's my boss. <laughs> Allison. Yeah, Allison.
1: <laughs> so be Allison. What would you, as Allison, say that this conversation is about? Yeah. And really have them actually sit in the other person's chair. There's something about physically shifting space sure. that helps you imagine somebody else's perspective. And chances are, as Allison, you'll say things like, you know, well, Jim doesn't understand that he needs to be more proactive about this. Um, You know, Jim isn't willing to take some of the feedback that I think would really help or something. Sure. And what's often the case is that if I can, and if I don't know the answer, that's perfect, actually, because what I should write down are some questions that I want to ask. You want to ask your boss, Allison, when you talk to her. And so that simple exercise, which you can do in your head in a few minutes as you commute to the meeting or walk down the hall, um, helps me get in a headspace to be more curious. And then I'll just start the conversation differently. I'll start by saying, you know, hey, I want to talk about how things are going. I think they could be going better. I have a perspective on why that is, but I'm guessing you do too. And so I'd love to just talk through what you see and what I see, and then we can figure out what to do. And that just frames the conversation to say, this is a conversation where both of our perspectives are really important, and we may or may not make any decisions, but the first step is, is to better understand where we're each coming from.
0: That sounds like an awful lot of authenticity and sharing of the truth, right? Really sharing where you're at.
1: It's sharing where you're at, but it's actually sharing a more accurate picture of reality yeah. than we often think of as the truth. Because when I'm focused on what I'm right about, I'm pretty sure I have the truth.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: right. like I am. I yeah. actually am. My truth is right. Yeah. The truth. It's not even mine. It's just the. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it helps me understand that actually, realistically, I only have some of the pieces of the puzzle. And to find the bigger picture truth of like what is going on um between us i actually need their pieces too
0: so is accepting feedback well part of the equation does that help us have better difficult conversations
1: it definitely does and it you know it's really interesting because we we had been teaching difficult conversations sort of all over the world to leaders for 20 years and feedback conversations were coming up again and again and again, as a subset of the kinds of conversations that we all find hard. And for like 10 years, we focused on teaching givers how to give, which is like the usual approach, right? You can be more skillful and more clear, do it more often. And it took us about 10 years before we suddenly realized that we were kind of missing the boat, that we weren't focused at all on understanding why as receivers it's so hard to receive feedback from everybody, for all of us. And feedback sure. not just formal like performance reviews, but like the people's little unsolicited suggestions and yeah. tips and requests and comments, they're often like indirect and offhand and annoying. Um, but anything other people are telling us about how we're impacting them and the world is feedback. And so we started focusing on what's so hard about receiving feedback and realizing receiving feedback is actually a distinct leadership skill. And if you get better at it, you can actually take charge of and accelerate your own learning, including from failure, by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to point out to the listener that. You know you might be sitting there saying, "Okay, Sheila has told us to actually stop before we have a conversation and thinks of this stuff through uh, She even actually suggested that we sit on one side of the table and then we sit on the other side of the table and actually put ourselves in the other person's chair literally actually you know trying to mm-hmm. physically do that and I want to challenge you the listener to to because part of you is saying well who who does that right who does that? Well, the people who do it are the people who can have better conversations who are, who are actually taking the action or willing to do something different right because if you're doing what everybody else does that's just the average and the averages that difficult conversations are are you know may not turn out well right If you want your difficult conversations to turn out better, than they would have otherwise, then then you have to do things differently. We've heard many, many times on this podcast, whether we're talking to New York Times bestselling authors or astronauts or Olympians or or anything, anybody else who's who's an elite performer at anything, we find out that they do things differently. And they do things that are maybe a little strange or or just not what most people would be willing to do. And and that's what you have to do. So I just want to point out, put that little thing out. And
1: And let me I'll I'll add on to that actually, Jim, which is It's often the case that I say to someone, you know, have you thought about their perspective, the other person's perspective in your situation? And they will say to me, oh, yeah, I've spent hours thinking about it. And I'll be like, okay, well, what do you think? And what they'll tell me is their version of the other person. In other words, filtered Uh through my perspective. So (laughs) it's like... They are being stupid because, you know, they don't understand blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's not what they would say. Sure. You need to tell this story the way they would tell it, not the way you tell it as yourself. Yeah. And I think that's the key to the shift because lots of your listeners are going to say, oh, for God's sake, I've spent hours, you know, over a beer with friends. Thinking about their perspective. And it's like, no, you've been thinking about your version from your perspective. Sure. And I think that's the key to the shift that successful people make is that they really actually tell the story from the other person's perspective for a few minutes.
0: Yeah. And for the longtime listeners, you've heard me say this many times, but for those of you who haven't listened to many podcasts, this is this is a version of of what I've defined as a productive pause. A productive pause is a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. I mean, this is this is the secret that we've discovered that is that is the key to success for so many people. And this is this is this is it. This is this fits right into the definition of of taking a short period of focused reflection around specific questions. That's going to give you clarity of action and peace of mind going into a conversation. And Sheila, you know, um, we go into these conversations uh, oftentimes. You know, if we think of you know having to to have that conversation with a boss or a spouse or a friend or 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 somebody else or a colleague and we have these feelings of maybe frustration or anger or annoyance and we try to conceal them right mm-hmm. but they leak out they leak out through body language or intonation or just you know we try to sugarcoat things and then eventually they kind of just bubble up and, and we blurt out something that, that that we that that makes things kind of go go haywire so how do we how do we handle that i mean is it is it really, is it, like you said, is it is it sharing with people kind of where we're at and, and being open-minded to where they're coming from?
1: Yeah, this is such a great question because I think you're right that often our instinct says, gosh, if I am, you know, frustrated and angry and feel betrayed or guilty or whatever, right, hurt, um, that's certainly not going to help the conversation. So I definitely have to basically keep that out like box up those feelings and keep them out of the conversation. And the problem is that as human beings, we can't keep them out. So if they're in your, what we would call your internal voice, right? Those are the thoughts and feelings that you are trying not to express, but they're there. Um, Emotion is particularly likely to leak out through tone of voice, body language, even in email, right? You can tell when someone, there's some feeling, you can't necessarily tell what it is behind an email. And so the advice is actually counterintuitive, because when you try to keep it out and it's leaking in, that is actually the definition of passive aggressive. Yeah, sure. Right, where you're being polite and professional, um, but the frustration is leaking out, and people would say you're so passive aggressive, um, because you know you ask me, so do you think we can finish this by the end of the week? And I'll be like, sure. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> and you're like, okay, great. Yeah, right. <laughs> Cause you can tell. Yeah, of course. I, I I'm skeptical, I'm frustrated, whatever. So the the advice is counterintuitive actually, which is that you're better off putting the feelings into the conversation, but doing so by simply naming and describing them rather than being emotional. So there's a big difference between describing or naming emotion and being emotional. So I might just say to you, um, look, I'm not sure whether we'll be done by the end of the week. I want to say yes. At the same time, I remain worried about whether we can make that deadline. And I feel caught about whether I should tell you yes, for sure. We're definitely <laughs> shooting for it. Should we talk about that? I'm And that's a, perfectly professional thing to say and I'm not being angry at you as much as I'm just naming that you know I do feel worried about it and um uncertain how how much to reassure you so that's not people's instinct but by naming the feeling I'm actually less likely to get emotional because I'm not trying to keep it out
0: yeah sure and you said that you know when you're in these conversations that what people are thinking and feeling is quite predictable. I feel like you've mm-hmm. got like the Tony the Tiger secret decoder pen. Like, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: what,
0: how is that predictable? What is this this internal voice? And you know, have you discovered something that that is is really helps people understand how to get inside somebody else's head?
1: Yeah. Yeah, what we found is that in the midst of a conversation that feels difficult to, you know, one or often both parties, really predictable things turn up in people's internal voices. Um, And in that way, difficult conversations always have the same underlying structure in terms of the things that people are preoccupied with. So we're preoccupied with a story about what's happening, what has happened and what should happen. And that story has those three key pieces what I'm right about, who's right or what I'm right about, um, whose fault it is that we're in this whole situation. And I have a theory about why you're acting this way. You know, it's because you don't get it. It's because you're really controlling. It's because you're trying to cover your arse. um, That I need to explain to myself why you would be acting the way that you're acting. So I have a theory about your intentions or motivations or character. So that's sort of part of the story we're telling. But under that, typically there are two more things. There's a whole bunch of feelings that I'm trying to figure out what to do about and how to handle, particularly in a professional context. And then at the deepest level, chances are you've got something going on with identity, um, which is something the situation suggests about me, which feels a little threatening or frustrating or anxiety provoking. Like even saying no um, when someone asks for help is really hard for people because, you know, I think of myself as someone who's a team player and I would never abandon a friend or colleague in need. And if that's true, then when they ask me for help saying, no, I can't help you with that. I can't do that. Isn't just saying, no, it's doing something that's in conflict with who I am or want to be. sure And so it, there's something around identity that often feels like it's at stake in the conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is one of those things. These are one of these things that, that you hear these Sheila and I go, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. Like, like in, in, in intuitively and inherently, we kind of know these things or, or they're in there and you just kind of are shedding light on them. And it's like, oh yeah, of course, of course, that's exactly how I feel. And I think understanding these feelings that we have and the feelings that other people may have, um, just just is going to make things uh make make things a lot easier. So really really practical stuff, Sheila. And now you're a parent of 3. I do, am. Do do these do these tactics work when trying to get a teenager say to do their homework?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, let's talk about identity and teenagers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I don't <laughs> think we emotions. have that I don't think we have teenagers. long time.
1: I know, <laughs> right? So absolutely, right? So you know, teenagers are trying to figure out who they are. And um, they also have a set of emotional interests around autonomy and your relationships, your relationship with them as their parent is changing, right? From the person who can tell them what to do to the person who is making recommendations or doing some coaching um, or, you know, Offering them ideas or support as they are slowly learning to make their own decisions and hopefully good decisions. But identity stuff, like, am I still needed as a parent? Do you are you listening to what I am telling you, which is clearly such good advice? Of course, <laughs> despite the, the fact truth. that you're so you're rolling your eyes. Um, so for it's identity is there for the parent. But identity is also there for the teenager who's Mm. like, oh, my God, my mom is treating me like I'm a baby, like I'm too stupid to know this stuff. She doesn't trust me. All of that stuff is going on on both sides of the conversation, which is why these conversations can feel so loaded.
0: And Sheila, you've written two, two New York Times bestsellers. You've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, you were named a lecturer at the on law at Harvard at age 26. Why do you what habits do you have that you feel have set you apart and helped you achieve success? Are there things that you've done through the years you feel like have have helped you get to where you're at now?
1: Oh gosh. Well, I think that doing this work. I was lucky enough to join a group of colleagues who we were all sort of wrestling with some of these same questions. And so in my 20s, um, I got the chance to really dig in with all this research around difficult conversations. And so it kind of gave me a vocabulary to think about my own struggles. So, you know, when I'm still, okay, I'm 50 years old, just why not put it out there? Who cares? (laughs) And, And still there are times where I about to go on stage. And I think like, Oh my there this audience is full of incredibly smart people. I know almost nothing about their business. Like huh, yeah. <laughs> what the heck am I doing here? Yeah. This is a disaster. <laughs> um, and <laughs> this is going to go really badly. And, and then I think to myself, okay, I'm having a little identity thing. Uh, I have spent more time thinking about some of these topics than probably almost anyone in the audience. And if that's not true, well, then we're going to have a really interesting conversation and I'll learn a bunch of things. So I'm negotiating with myself about who I am and who I need to be right, in the next hour or whatever it would be and why I'm there and what happens if this doesn't work the way I think it's going to work well, then I'll learn something, and that means I kind of can't lose, and that helps. I think having this, having a vocabulary to negotiate with myself and negotiate myself out of that,
0: sort yeah, of
1: panic, panicked self-doubt.
0: Absolutely, yeah, has that's really powerful. Really well. Yeah, I bet it has. My goodness, that's a that's a great way. Because, and I want the listener to listen and understand: that we're talking to a world-class performer. I mean, arguably one of the best in the world at what she does, and there's still doubt that creeps in. There's still fear that creeps in. Um, but that was just a really powerful tactic. You shared just that, that ability to shift your mindset and go, okay, well, well, if I, if I do fail, if, if things, you know, if, if I, these fears come true, then wow, I'm actually going to be better off for it in the end. You know, it may be tough, but it's going to be, I'm actually going to be learn from it potentially here. So.
1: Well, and also to link back to something you asked me a few minutes ago, I try to be really open about that with my kids you know like so i just did two deliveries for two different clients who are probably my most high stress clients this year and of course they asked for additional things in december that i thought i was like past the hard part of the year and could kind of not be so anxious <laughs> about it. And they're, they're, they're challenging because they're high stakes and also because I'm not sure what the path is. So we're sort of figuring it out together as we go. And that makes the projects very unpredictable. And so my, um, 16 year old said to me a couple weeks ago, as I was getting ready to go on this trip, like you seem kind of stressed. <laughs> <And> I said, <laughs> I am a little stressed Pete. Um, I said, I am just not sure that I know what is going to help here. Um, but a lot of it is showing up to, you know, offer whatever I can offer to help. And that's what this is about, but I don't always feel like I know what I'm doing or know what should be done next. Um, and I'm trying to be really transparent with them about that so that when they are walking in, whatever, for an exam, for their first job interview, for a real job, whatever, they know that that's normal it doesn't mean they're not qualified. It just means that they're human.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we have to role model for our kids. And that's a great example of you having to role model that for your own kids, you know, especially as somebody who, who works at the level that you do. Um, and then also for your kids to see that, uh, you get stressed and, and there are challenges mm-hmm. that you'll have to face. And, and here's, here's how I have to face them because you're going to face them too.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Sheila, this is the time in the show where I ask you about a time where you failed. You know, you're, like I said, just, uh, you know, one of the best in the world at what you do. Uh, is there a time when you failed, a time when you maybe felt the hopelessness that comes from failure, maybe just that overwhelming self-doubt, but you were able to overcome it uh, and, and achieve success despite it or maybe because of it?
1: How do we choose? How do we choose? Um, <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So there was a big talk that I gave. Um, it's It was probably about six years ago now. And, you know, I had been speaking and teaching for many years already. And this was a big conference. And it was a shorter time period than I usually will agree to, because particularly with the difficult conversation stuff, it's hard to do something meaningful that's super short. So I had, what I had been doing when I gave keynotes was mostly basically doing a training, but faster. Mm -hmm. And I'd been getting away with that for a long time, partly because I kind of didn't agree to do less than an hour and 15 minutes at a time, partly because the content was really strong. So there was going to be something relevant and useful for people kind of no matter what. But on this particular occasion in front of about 800 people at a global leadership conference, um, a bunch of things with the schedule meant that although I was supposed to have an hour, in the end, I had about 35 minutes. Oh, wow. And It was at the very end of the day, which is a terrible time slot. Sure. Um, we're not. We're not even talking about the time that I followed Tony Robbins, by the way, and basically seventy percent of the audience got up and left.
0: Done. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a tough act <laughs> which to follow. Was and, before
1: I even got on stage. Right? Oh
0: my goodness.
1: Um. No. This. That was a different time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I did not. When I only had thirty-five minutes, I just didn't handle it well. I didn't make the adjustments that I needed to make. And it got really negative reviews. The client who had brought me in was a longtime friend and colleague. And I felt like, and she felt like, by the way, um, she had lost a lot of credibility because I had been so embarrassing. And, and not only that, but a friend, another friend of ours was slated to do the year after me. Like she was busy writing her book. So I was going to do this year and then they would have her next year. And on the basis of my poor performance, not only did I get the negative feedback, but they canceled our friend.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I was so bad that we didn't even want to talk to anyone or hear from anyone that, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> anybody associated with you.
1: gosh. So, um, you know, I look back at that and think, maybe that is just what it was going to take to get my attention, because I could no longer pretend that speaking was the same thing as training, but faster. And it got my, it shook my world hard enough that I got serious about, okay, speaking is just a different animal. And I need to let go of what I think I know. And Wipe the slate clean and start from the ground up. Yeah. And so I set a goal and I spent the next year learning speaking by talking to, you know, another friend of mine who's a theologian who teaches preaching for Catholic clergy, which means a five minute homily. How do you say something meaningful and connect with an audience in five minutes? Wow. I watched tons of TED Talks. I read books. I went to a coach and, you know, I dedicated my free time for that year to that goal. And it really changed the way that I teach as well as speak. Um, But I think I wouldn't have felt the burning platform of like, you better get serious and actually let go of what you think, you know, without that hitting bottom experience.
0: And I want to point out for the listeners, thank you, Sheila, for sharing that. And I want to point out for the listener, failure didn't mean quitting or stopping. Failure meant. I, I thought digging. about it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, did. I, 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 I I I was tempted. Don't blame you. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people go. Right. And yeah. and but but you you instead you dug deeper. Instead of quitting, instead of, of, of turning back and not doing that, you 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 went deeper. And yeah, I by going deeper, down. yeah, you doubled down and, and it took you farther. And so I want to encourage the listener to go to realize that your failure. You know, it may mean to to change course or to shift, and that shift may just mean digging deeper or working at something harder to get better at it, because that's a it's a key thing for you and it's important for you. So, um, understand that failure is a necessary step on that path to success, and it can make you better, just like it did for Sheila. So, thank you for sharing that. And how? Um, what's one action item, Sheila, that the listener could take? Let's say in the next twenty four to forty eight hours to start making difficult conversations a little easier. Is there a concrete action item, one or two, or even three things that you might recommend that the listener could could do?
1: Yeah. Well, one is to think about what are the difficult conversations or the important conversations in my life that I am avoiding. And if I got curious about why we're having such a hard time, can I imagine a conversation that might be worth having?
0: Yeah. Yeah powerful exercise. I think anybody who, who actually does that is going to come up with a lot, of, uh, a lot of clarity of action, a lot of peace of mind. So thank you, Sheila. Thank you for making time to come on the show. Can you tell the listener where we can find you, where we can follow you, uh, find your books, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So the good news is I'm really easy to find um, because I have a unique name. So Sheila, if you just Google Sheila Heen, S-H-E-I-L-A-H-E-E-N, You will find the books, you'll find the website uh, at Triad Consulting, um, and we also have an author website. Um, And on the website, we have a section called Help Yourself, and we have some free resources that you can download um, that accompany the books um, and that you can use with colleagues and team members
0: excellent and for the listener I will have a of the links to everything that she just mentioned there in the action plan if you go to com slash action I will have links to social media as well as uh, author page Amazon page website all that good stuff so Sheila thank you so much for sharing that and thanks for making time to come on the show
1: it's been a total delight Absolutely.
0: Likewise. And for the listener, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success.